chapter 6, verse 1. Take heed that ye do not your arms before men, to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father, which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine arms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. This is a pretty straightforward piece of scripture. If you do good works, don't broadcast it. Don't seek glory from men, as the Pharisees did. And if you are humble, if you are out and about your father's business, then he will reward thee openly when he wishes to. 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. We had an email some months ago concerning one of our street preaching videos and the party took the position that somehow we fell into the condemnation which is found here in the fifth chapter. Can I just say that this piece of scripture is not against publicly proclaiming the gospel of Christ on the streets otherwise how else would you get the gospel out? This piece of scripture is against people that wish to be praised of men they wish to be seen as holier than thou. That's what Matthew here is telling us. And if you fall into that group, then you are under the condemnation. But to street preach, to give out tracts, to even film yourself doing that, isn't wrong. It's not being condemned. It's the outward appearance of being righteous when you are dead man's bones inside. 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Not a literal closet, again letterism here. We don't take every verse, every word of the Bible to be literal. In John chapter 10, the Lord spoke of himself as a door. He's not a physical door that hangs on hinges. This is simply a piece of scripture telling you to spend time with the Lord. Just you and him. Switch your cell phone off. Switch your laptop off. Switch your television off. Just you and him in a place where you can enjoy him. That's what Matthew is telling you here. 7. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Heathen, infidel, in this part of scripture, in this dispensation, the Lord is speaking to the Jews. They are his people. They are under the Mosaic Covenant. They have their temple. They are pork-abstaining, bearded Jews. They circumcise their sons. They are the people of God. At this part of the Lord's ministry, he's speaking to the Jews. So a non-Jew would be a heathen. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul spoke about a man that wouldn't provide for his own family, being an infidel a non-Jew, an infidel, a non-Jew, a heathen. Today, a non-believer would be an infidel. A non-believer would be a heathen. In fact, even in the book of Acts, the apostle Peter 
cites the second psalm and it says why do the heathen rage and he puts that and he cites that scripture and says to the leading Jewish leaders at that time that they were the heathen they were the non-believers even though they were Jews even though they knew the Old Testament inside out due to their rejection of the Lord due to their apostasy due to their intolerance towards the apostles they were now considered the heathen the infidels of God but the main point here is the vain repetitions don't keep repeating the same words over and over again like the Catholics do the Catholic if he or she is faithful if he or she even goes to confession will be told by the priest to say three Our Fathers and four Hail Marys and if they do that and if they are truly sorry quote unquote then they have their sins up until that moment in time forgiven and they can go and receive the Eucharist but you were told here not to use vain repetitions because the heathen think that they are going to be heard and until you are born again your prayers are not heard anyway because you're not a child of God 8. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of, before ye ask him. He only becomes your Father when you are born again. Pre the new birth you were an enemy of God, and the anger and the holiness and the righteousness of God is being poured out on you. Once you are born again, then you can call him Abba Father, and he hears your prayers, and he knows of course what you need before you ask him so stop fretting stop worrying just before I get to verse 9 this will be the Lord's Prayer as it is commonly known and Catholics and Protestants will cite this prayer during their church services but it's actually the Apostles Prayer or the Disciples Prayer and it's a Jewish prayer and again it has a first and second coming connotation to it we can still use it for the church age if we choose to but uh, just look at how it's worded after this manner therefore pray ye our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name our the Jews father who is in heaven this is pre the new birth post the new birth the father son and spirit live within us and the Holy Ghost leads us he convicts us of sin and he leads us into all areas of righteousness. This is the Jewish Messiah speaking to his apostles first and foremost. And then the Jewish people behind them. So as I say, follow this carefully because you can read it. You can use it during your daily walk with the Lord. But for the most part, this is Jewish with a capital J. 10. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. If you are saved, the kingdom of God is already within you. And you are simply awaiting the return of the Lord to take you to his physical kingdom. So again, scripture with scripture and try and get the dispensations in the right place. His will is to be done in earth as it is in heaven. And we are to pray for that. 11. Give us this day our daily bread we seek the Lord's provision on a daily basis if we are fortunate to live in wealthy countries and we have food on our tables 
and we are able to work for our food, we should give the Lord thanks for that. Not the government, but the Lord. 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Our sins have already been forgiven. They were forgiven when we believed on the Lord. But uh, the next couple of verses can be easily cross-referenced to 1 John. 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Job was tested. All of the Old Testament prophets were tested. The apostles were tested. Here we find the scripture telling us to seek to be delivered from temptation, to be delivered from evil. This isn't just a day-by-day -day deliverance. This is a deliverance from ultimate evil, death, hell, and eternal torment. If we call on the Lord to deliver us from evil, that is also with the understanding that you are calling on him to be saved from your sin. So 9 to 13, I would say, has a twofold application. It was given to the Jews to pray during the Lord's time on earth. It will be recited again during the millennium. For those living today, we can still refer to this. We can still say this prayer if we choose to. But remember that the kingdom will come. We have already been saved and our deliverance from evil comes on a day-by-day -day basis when we walk in the Spirit. So keep in mind that these people haven't yet been saved. Whereas those living today, reading this, are saved, if they are born again, of course. 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 1 John would be the cross-reference to this. And there we were told that if you hated your brother, you were a murderer, and no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The brother in 1 John would be a saved party. If you don't confess your sins to the Lord, then he won't restore you to fellowship. You become a barren, carnal Christian. And if you read 1 Corinthians 11, there were carnal Corinthians that didn't repent, didn't come back to the Lord, and they died in their sin. And they went straight to heaven. They were still saved, of course, but due to their immorality, due to their carnality, they lost their fellowship with the Lord, they lost their peace, and ultimately they lost their lives. That is the worst case scenario for a saved man or woman who won't confess their sins. But here, if you don't forgive men their trespasses, your Father in heaven won't forgive you your trespasses, and you lose your fellowship with the Lord. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So just confess your sins, come back to the Lord, and he will restore you 100%. 16. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites, of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Same sort of language found back in verse 2 and verse 5, and the reward there, once again, is recognition. 
from the multitudes. Look at these wonderful Jewish leaders. They fast all the time. They don't do this, they don't do that. They're so marvellous. When in reality they are dead man's bones. They are the whitest sepulchre. They are the, the enemies of God. They are the people that the Lord condemns later in Matthew's Gospel. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Fasting is found in both Testaments, it's not mandatory, but the way that this piece of scripture is presented gives the clear impression that it was an everyday practice among the Jewish people. But as I say, there's nothing clearly found in scripture that person A or person B should fast on this day of the week or that day of the week or this week or that week or this month and that month. As I've already said, I knew a brother who fasted and his intentions were good. And uh, due to his poor health, pre his salvation days, he paid with his life, really. He went a little overboard. But uh, sometimes fasting can simply mean to miss a meal or two out of a day and spend extra time in the Bible or extra time on the street. I know a brother that street preaches every weekend without fail. And he told me that he doesn't eat or drink anything on that day he goes onto the street simply depending on the Lord to sustain him and he has a very bold witness he is very compassionate he is very sincere he's very genuine and as I say he won't eat or drink anything until he goes home later that day and then he enjoys a big meal but he doesn't broadcast the fact that he fasts he simply mentioned it to me in passing once and it was done not to broadcast or to boast of this but simply as a point of conversation really but as I say fasting is found in both testaments but you do have liberty in the Lord whether you choose to be a regular faster or not and it may also be that if a crisis would occur in your life that you will have to fast you'll have to get on your knees and cry unto the Lord until he hears you, until he gives you what you need. And we've all been there, haven't we? 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Again, this is a pretty straightforward piece of scripture. Don't get caught up in the trap of wanting to keep up with the Joneses or the Smiths. Just because your neighbours go away once or twice or three or four times a year doesn't mean you have to. Just because they built a huge extension or had a jacuzzi installed or a sauna installed doesn't mean you have to as well. Don't get caught up with all the materialistic trappings of the world. Your mind, your heart, your life should be focused on the Lord. And if you have spare money, maybe you will buy thousands and thousands of Bible tracts. We knew of a ministry in the UK that produced one million nice glossy 
postcard Bible tracts. And uh, this ministry put them out for free. It turned out that this ministry was run by a very wealthy saved man. And he wanted to put one million free Bible tracts into the hands of evangelists in the UK. And we got hold of several thousand of these nice postcard Bible tracts. And we distributed them. He put his money where his mouth was. He invested his money into the gospel. He wasn't squandering it. He wasn't looking to get a 42-inch or a 52-inch or a 62-inch widescreen plasma television. He was looking to get the gospel out. He wanted to better the faithful men and women's chances of reaching more people. And he did that by putting his own money into free tracks. And that is the sort of man, that is the sort of person that will be handsomely awarded at the judgment seat of Christ. Also 21 should be quite obvious. Where your treasure is there will your heart be also. If all you ever talk about is materialistic trappings as I say and wanting to make more money next year and buy more houses and buy more cars and do this and do that then that of course is where your heart is your heart is here and now it's not with the Lord and the raw truth is that there are too many Christians that are so earthly focused on the here and now and the worry about getting a second or a third job or even getting a job at all that they totally lose the overall concept the overall fact that 100 years from now everybody will be dead and nobody will be worrying about jobs, mortgages, families but they will be with the Lord in heaven and because they worry so much they fail to share the gospel with their family and friends who aren't saved the flip side to the coin is you will find some Christians that are so heavenly bound so f focused on the Lord that they don't even speak to unsaved family and friends they don't even realize that they need to be a better witness a better light to those around them so you can be too earthly bound and panic and fret and burn out and not allow the Lord to restore you not call on the Lord to come beside you and carry you and you can become too heavenly bound and become fruitless and unproductive to your unsaved people your unsaved colleagues and it is a fine line but it has to be struck it has to be balanced it has to be reached in the right way 22 the light of the body is the eye if therefore thine eye be single thy whole body shall be full of light but if thine eye be evil thy whole body shall be full of darkness if therefore the light that is in thee be darkness how great is that darkness this goes back to the fifth chapter, lusting, hating, uh, unjust separations, unjust remarriages, uh, being a double-minded person. Your eyes are the windows to your souls. What you see stays in your mind. Your brain is like a hard drive and it stores up all the things that you see. So be careful what you allow your eyes to see. 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. 
This is echoed also in 2 Corinthians 6, that you are to be separate, be not yoked with unbelievers. Don't put yourself in a position where you are having to choose one over the other. You can't serve two masters. As I say, if you are all out for the Lord, they will call you a fanatic. And if you fall into sin, if you stumble, they will call you a hypocrite. You can't win either way, really. So it's best just to go all out for the Lord. And uh, those that are saved and love the Lord will support you. And those that don't, won't. That's their loss. 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? If the Lord of the universe feeds the birds, and he does, if he makes his sun rise on the unjust, if he allows his rain to fall on the unjust, isn't he going to do the same for you? Won't he provide for you if you are one of his children? Of course he will. 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his statue? You can't. You can't extend your life. You can't do anything. He's already provided for the world. He provides every day for the world. If he's going to provide for the world, he will provide for you. Stop worrying. Chill out, as they say. 28. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? It's not unnatural to doubt. It's not abnormal to be fearful. It's not unheard of to fret. But at the same time, we believe in the living God, and he created the universe out of nothing, and he sustains it. 150,000 people die every day, and only a few of those are saved and go on to be with the Lord. If he can make the world out of nothing and sustain it, and he does, if he can take people back to glory when they die, and he does, if he feeds the birds of the air and clothes those that need to be clothed, if he provides for the unjust, if he sends rain on the unjust, if he allows the sun to rise on the unjust, and he does, won't he do the same for you? Stop worrying. Stop worrying. 31. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Gentiles, non-Jews, pre the cross, dispensation, scripture with scripture. 32 doesn't really need any further commentary from me. The main theme of the sixth chapter is to stop worrying. It's to take each day as it comes. Because he, the Lord, knows what you need, even 
before you ask him. So stop panicking. Just uh, allow the Lord to work through you in his own way, at his own time. 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Get yourself saved first. Seek the kingdom. Seek to get a full reward. And then all these things will be given to you if he wants to give them to you, if it is in your interest to have it and when it pleases him. These things have to go hand in hand. He won't give you anything if he doesn't want you to have it. And he won't give you anything if the timing isn't right. So don't start to lose faith. Don't start to backslide or panic. If you're wanting something and you haven't yet received it, you will get it if he wants you to have it when the time is right for you. 34. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Take each day as it comes. Stop trying to plan ahead. Stop fretting, stop worrying, and he will carry you, he will sustain you.